chapters 1 to 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing? untying that colt. They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to the Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Amen. Master of my destiny. Ruler of my fate. The gold I use is mine, not borrowed. I shall live within my means. When vain desire raises its head, I shall cut it off. Not with a sword of steel, but with a will of iron. I am king. I march to the beat of my own drum. I fly the flag of need, not greed. I am king. I dare you to tell me otherwise. I hold the reins. I press the buttons. I call the shots. I bow to no one. I am free. I am king. <laughs> Interesting ad, isn't it? 
Uh, the, what the ad's saying in the end is wanting to uh, help people not overspend and use their credit cards appropriately. But the message is interesting, isn't it? That I am king, master of my own destiny, ruler of my own fate, my own gold is my own, I am king. Sometimes we think we are, don't we? Sometimes we think that we rule and we control and it's all about us and we're the ones that are in control of everything. And sometimes that's a nice thought, isn't it? Sometimes we think maybe that is the way I'd like to operate. But if you're king of your life and I'm king of my life and everyone else is king of their own life and everyone's king everywhere, I tell you what, we're going to have some mighty big wars, aren't we? If everyone thinks they're king, then everyone's going to clash with each other. And we're not the rulers of our own destiny. We are not the ones who are in control of everything. We are not perfect. We do not have perfect wisdom. We do not see things from the big picture, do we? Because we're not king. We're never meant to be king because there was and is only one perfect king. And we've been looking at that perfect king over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? We've been thinking about that as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you're a visitor or guest with us today, you've jumped in at uh, talk number seven, so you've missed six great talks. No, you've missed six talks beforehand that have built up the picture of this Jesus, the king. You see, right at the beginning of Mark, the writer, Mark, says that he is telling us the Gospel of the King, the Messiah, the Saviour, the Anointed One, the King over all. And so Mark has been building a picture of who this King is all the way through. And if you went from Mark chapter 1 to chapter 7, you see that he's portraying how Jesus has the qualifications to be King. He heals people. He has authority over nature. He has authority over the elements. He has authority to teach. He has authority over evil spirits. He has all the credentials to be king, to be the Messiah, the one that everyone has been waiting for. And so up to chapter 7, that's what it's been looking at. We've been finding that out. And then chapter 8, we get a turning point and it goes now. Mark says, you can see that he is the king. He has authority over everything. He can control everything. And then from Mark chapter 8 onwards, he tells us what type of king he's going to be. Because you see, the king that everyone was expecting to come back in those days was the king that was going to restore Jerusalem, that was going to have the, the king of David, the son of David, is going to be on the throne, he's going to drive out the Romans, re-establish Israel, re-establish the Jews over everything, and here it's going to happen here. He's going to be a mighty ruler. Whereas from Mark chapter 8 onwards, we get to see what type of king Jesus is going to be. And he's not just a king for a period of time, he's going to be a king eternally. He's not going to just deal with the problem of the Romans, he's going to deal with the biggest problem that the world has. So let's have a look at this king, because he enters into Mark chapter 11... And we get to see this king enter into town. Uh, And it's an interesting entry, isn't it? We get the king, Jesus, enters into Jerusalem. People lay down things here and there and all over the place. And there's a big fanfare for Jesus entering into Jerusalem. 
Well, sort of. Uh, if you can remember back in 2014, Barack Obama, who you'd probably go closest to saying is uh, king over the free world, or they keep telling us he is anyway. Uh, if you're an American, that's what they think. Uh, and he came to Brisbane, and when he came to Brisbane, he did arrive to big fanfare. He arrived on Helicopter One, whatever it's called, uh, on his big chopper, he arrived, and then when he came through the city, he came through on this big black limousine that you can see there. Bulletproof, completely safe. He had a big fanfare behind him. He had people driving behind him. Someone told me that in the back ones, there's actually a machine gun that comes up out of the seat and could shoot anyone from there. I'm not, true, not sure that's true, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, James Bond there's a, can come up under fire. They actually do say they have one of those somewhere for him. But there's a big fanfare, isn't it? This is one of the most important people in the world comes to Brisbane and everything comes and shuts down for him and everything happens for him. It's a really big thing. You can't miss it. Well, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and in one sense there is a big fanfare, but it's slightly different again, isn't it? Jesus doesn't come on a chopper. Jesus doesn't come in a black limousine. Jesus doesn't even come in on a chariot or on a big horse. He comes in on a colt, on a donkey. A donkey. Come on. Is that really the best you can do? A donkey to bring in the king of the universe? Well, Jesus is making a statement, isn't he? He's making a statement that this king is a humble king. He's a king that is actually fulfilling prophecy as well. You see, in Zechariah 9, verse 9, hundreds and hundreds of years before, it says the king that's going to enter into this town, in Zechariah chapter 9, says he'll come in on a colt, on a donkey, on an ass, to show his humility. That he's different to the other kings that have been around. He's going to be different to the kings you've had in the past. He's going to be different to the kings you have now. He's going to be different to the kings in the future. You see, if you're a king back then, that's Alexander the Great, and he's on a, a picture in, uh, in Greece. Uh, whenever you see Alexander the Great coming in, he's on a horse, he's on a mighty horse, he's on a big, strong steed, powerful, important. And Jesus comes in on a donkey. He's already setting the scene, isn't he? Remember last week? Chapter 10, verse 45. Who can quote me that wonderful verse? You should know it. I'm going to shame you into it. It's a great verse if you don't know it. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Remember that? Self-sacrificial love is going to be this king. He's not riding in on a steed. He's riding in on a donkey. This is the type of king that Jesus is going to be. And he's going to deal with our greatest enemy, our greatest need. So Jesus comes in. Uh, the triumphal entry, they call it, but it, there's a twist in it, isn't it? 
We need to see that twist of Jesus being on a donkey. Fulfillment of Zechariah 9, but the fulfillment that he is going to be a humble, self-sacrificing, loving king. Different to the other kings. And so he comes in and where does he go to? He doesn't go to the castle. He doesn't go to where the people reign. He goes to the temple. And he gets to the temple and he has a look around. And as he checks it out, he surveys the scene. Isn't it Mark tells us? It was late. It's a nice little point, isn't it? And so he decides, well, he goes back out of town. He goes back to Bethany and he stays a night in Bethany. You know, sometimes people tell you, well, you know, is the Bible really accurate? Does it record stuff? Is it just a fabrication? Is it just trying to paint a beautiful picture? Isn't it amazing that Mark just brings in these little things? It's a little bit of information there, isn't it? He just, he's recording the truth. What happened? So Jesus goes out and then he comes back. And in the next part, when he comes back to Jerusalem, we're going to see what type of king this Jesus is. As he comes to Jerusalem, as he comes to the temple, we're going to see how Jesus reacts but also teaches what type of king he is. It's a sandwich. That's a good way to think about things in some ways. I don't want to make you completely hungry yet. We do have morning tea out the back. Uh, But in Mark, there are these passages that come up to us where Mark records things and we call them sandwich passages. And this is one of them because what happens is we see Jesus come in, we see the fig tree, we get a bit of a story about the fig tree, we hear about what happens to the fig tree, then we stop about the fig tree and then we come into the temple and then we come back to the fig tree. It's a sandwich passage. The fig tree at the beginning, the fig tree at the end, and something in the middle. The bread at the beginning, the bread at the bottom, and then the meat in the middle. And the bread at the bottom and the bread at the top put the whole thing together and they make sense of the sandwich. If you just had the middle, you don't have a sandwich, do you? you just have the bread, you don't have a sandwich. And so the fig tree at the beginning and the fig tree at the end help us understand what Jesus is doing in the middle. Some people understand, well, why did he curse the fig tree? What's going on there? Well, he's teaching us. He's teaching us about what's happening at the temple. You see, he's comparing the two and he's saying, this fig tree is like what's happening at the temple. This fig tree is like Israel. And he puts them together, doesn't he? The fig tree at the beginning looks like it has leaves on it. It looks like it should have fruit. The temple looks like it's busy, looks like there's something going, looks like it's really the place to be. The fig tree, he comes to it, has no fruit. The temple really has no fruit either. It's been completely wasted. It's gone off in a completely wrong direction. The fig tree has an excuse to not have any fruit. It's not the time to be figs. Hear that? The temple has no excuse. That was where people were to meet God. The fig tree at the end is dead, withered, dried. The temple is withered and dry. That is not where you will find God anymore. See what Jesus is doing? And if you look at verse 22, uh, the disciples look at that, they see the fig tree, they see it's withered, and then Jesus says, have faith in God 
which he means have faith in me. The temple's not where it's at anymore, guys. The temple is not it. It's not the place to go. I am. Because I'm the true king. And so we see that and he teaches that and he shows us that and even when he comes into the temple, he shows that to us all as well and there's this whole lot he's teaching us within the temple. Uh, and I want to bring out just a couple of things for you this morning that I see that Jesus is teaching us as he goes into that temple. Uh, have a look there in verse 15. He goes into the temple, he goes in, he sees what's going around and he gets angry. You don't hear that much about Jesus, does he? He's got a righteous anger. There is a place for anger. He gets angry, he clears it all out and then he says something amazing at the end. Look at there. Is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? See, Jesus is saying that this temple was to be a picture of God to the world. This temple was to be a place where people are welcomed in and they can meet God. But you've ruined it. It's supposed to be a place that is open for all people to come and meet me. But you've destroyed it. You've corrupted it. You've made it into something completely different to that. You've made it into a den of robbers. But really it should be a place where it's access to all. See what he said? This is a place where the Gentiles can come, a place of prayer for everyone. This is what it's supposed to be. But you've closed it off. You've made it completely different to that. But I'm going to change that. I am going to make it a place for access to God for everyone. And it's not going to be this temple, but it's going to be me. You see, the temple was built in a way to actually keep people... Yes, this is where you meet God, but there's a whole lot of walls there, isn't there? A whole lot of walls. You can only get into this place if you go through one set of walls and another set of walls. And eventually, the last wall that you get into in the Holy of Holies, only one person can enter it, and only one time of the year. And that was the high priest, and he had to sacrifice things. And then he had to go in with a leg rope on his leg, just in case he was impure. And if he died inside, they could pull him out. You see, this sense of the temple was that there was these barriers all the way in to find where God is. Yes, it's a place to meet God, but there are all these barriers to get there. But Jesus comes in and says, and clears it, doesn't he? He says, this is access to all. This is a place where you're going to be welcomed and people can be welcomed. I'm going to provide a place for that to happen. That's the type of king I'm going to be king that provides access to all the nations to God do you remember the garden of Eden what happens right at the very moment Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God, uh, God puts an angel out the front and he puts a barrier a sword that you cannot get to me anymore and then he puts in trained sacrifices and so forth for people to be holy and pure to get it to God but you cannot get to me because you're not pure and you're not holy Jesus is about to blow that open, isn't he? He's about to make it possible for everyone to have access to God. And that's why the guys get really upset with him. Do you notice that in the passage? The guys around him, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, 
they hear that this is going to be access to all the nations, they're not actually that upset about Jesus clearing the, the temple in one sense. They're upset because Jesus is saying that God is going to be available to the whole world, to the whole nations. And what's their response? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. As you work through the next couple of chapters, you'll see that there's this question that the Pharisees will come to Jesus. He'll ask, they'll ask questions, they'll ask questions, and they'll want to kill him, kill him, kill him. So Jesus is going to say that he's going to provide access for all, and we know that how Jesus is going to do that, he's going to do that at the cross, isn't he? You see, the barrier to God will be completely destroyed at the cross. The sword at the gate will be taken away. The, the walls of the temple no longer will be there. The one big curtain that separated even the high priest from God is ripped apart and destroyed and so no longer is the temple worth anything. It's not there. It's not, that's not where it is anymore. The withered fig tree at the end shows that the temple is not where we go anymore. It's Jesus. He is the one that provides access for all people everywhere. That's the type of king he's going to be. Because he's a king that cleanses. A king that deals with all that stuff and dirt and grime and sin that separates us from God. He deals with it. And that's what that first part of the uh, passage of him cleaning out the temple is about, isn't it? He's actually cleansing it out. He's actually saying this stuff that you're doing here needs to be got rid of. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. It's a cleansing thing that Jesus is doing here, isn't he? He's saying, I'm the king that comes to cleanse this temple, but not just to cleanse the temple, but to cleanse everyone's life. I'm coming in to separate it and take it all out and get rid of it. You see, back then, they'd, what they'd done is these temple courts, they're all out. The place that Jesus entered first is called uh, the uh, place for the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. And what happened in uh, the court of the Gentiles was rather than it being a place for people to come and pray, they made it a place for people to do business to work out their sacrifices, to come and buy sacrifices to put out, to, to give to God, or to come and change their money. Because in the temple, you couldn't use Roman money. You had to change it over to what the Jewish were using at the time. So you had to change your money over. It's a bit like when you go to Audi, isn't it? You want to use one of their trolleys. You've got to go in and buy one of their tokens to get the trolley to work. You've got to change it over. And it's a sense here, you've got to change your money over. When we go to another country, you've got to go to a money changer, don't you? So there's all these money changers inside this temple. But there's not only that, there is a whole lot of people selling stuff selling heaps of stuff and this is just before the Passover and in Jerusalem at the Passover it is crazy it's like people everywhere and animals everywhere uh, the writer called Josephus who was a recorder of history uh, back around just a little bit after Jesus' time for the Romans he was a Jew and he was recording history for them 
he said at Passover time, they reckoned that there was about 255,000 sheep went through and were sacrificed. Now we think of like a little bit of our market down here on Sundays and Saturdays and that when we have the market, there's a lot of people going through, it's pretty hectic. 255,000 sheep going through the place in one over a period, short period of time. That's more than the casino slaughterhouse does, isn't it? That is a lot of sheep. And this temple court was where it was all happening. It would have been chaos, wouldn't it? Absolute chaos. And Jesus comes to this temple court, which was supposed to be a place of contemplation and prayer and meeting God, and sees this just craziness going on. And he clears it. He comes through and he says, this is not on, guys. This is not the place it's supposed to be. He cleanses it. You see, he wants us to be cleansed too. He's come to the temple and it's withered and it's dying and it's dead. That's the withered fig tree at the end. That's the temple that Jesus sees then. And he says, that is not the place, guys. This is not the place. I'm going to cleanse this temple, yes, and I'm going to wipe it out in three days and it's going to rise again. What's he talking about? Not the building, but him. He is the place that we meet God. He is the place where we have full access to God now and for eternity. He is the place where we find cleansing, where we are washed clean. We're a bit obsessed these days with cleansing, aren't we? Uh, If you go on and you type cleansing into your Google and the Google images, you'll come up with all this stuff face cleansing, ear cleansing, eye cleansing, everything cleansing. You'll have all these things that can work towards cleansing, everything to get rid of dirt. We hate dirt, don't we? Because dirt clogs stuff up, grinds stuff up. It's just horrible. We've got to be cleansed all the time. Not only are we cleansed on the outside, but these times we do also the cleansing on the inside. We've got to eat fruit. You know that green stuff, veggies, guys? You're supposed to eat that. You know, you're supposed to get, and then detox, you've got to go and detox your system now, be cleansed on the inside and all this sort of stuff. It's all about being cleansed now, but it's all superficial, isn't it? It's all about out here. But it's not about the heart. Jesus comes to cleanse us from the inside out. He's the blood that cleanses us, doesn't he? The blood of the lambs cleanses us. It's better than Omo. It's better than any system that you've got. He cleanses us. He makes us right with God, doesn't he? He comes in and he gets rid of the dirt and the grime. He gets rid of our sin. He gets rid of the barrier between us and God, which is us wanting to be king. Us saying that I am king is our rebellion against God our sin against him and he comes and he cleanses us of that. He takes that and washes that away and he transforms us, doesn't he? And you see, he does that through his death and resurrection. Yeah, this is the king, 
that Jesus is going to be. This is the king that everyone needs. This is the king you and I need. Because we can't cleanse ourselves. We can't have access to God by ourselves. Because we're not clean. You can't be with God unless you've been cleansed. And the only one that does that is Jesus. He's the only one that provides that for us. He's the only one that can cleanse us. You see, and I think there's something else that's in this that Jesus is wanting us to come across to. You notice that when he says to us, doesn't he? He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. You see, a house of prayer is a house that comes with their hands open, isn't it? We tend to pray sometimes people, we old thing we've been having, we used to teach people to have their hands together like this. I don't think that's really a good picture of prayer at all. This is a good picture of prayer. If you look at the Middle East people when they pray, this is the way they pray. It's because their hands are open. They're open because they're saying, there is nothing in me Lord, that deserves to be near you ever. There is nothing in me, Lord. It is all of you. My hands are open to you, Lord. Cleanse me. Bring me into your presence. Do a work within me, Lord. You see, I think we tend to be in a world, don't we? In the Western world, we're all about having our hands closed and our hands active and our hands busy. You know, that's what we've been taught, haven't we? Hard work, guys. You work hard, you go hard all your life, you get your house, you get yourself set up. It's all about you. It's all about you being king, you about you ruling your world, you doing the hard work, you going the hard yards. And you know, there's an element of truth in there, isn't it? But the problem with that is that we actually start to think that we're king. Masters of our own destiny. That we're building our own kingdom with our own hands. But look at the world that we live in, guys. It's a world where kingdoms are clashing, aren't they? Because every king thinks that they're king. Lives are just smashing into other lives. We're smashing into each other. And we're believing that lie. Mal said, didn't he, the people who have been in the suicide, they've believed a lie. And we've believed that lie, guys. And even as Christians, I think we've believed that lie. And sometimes we come to God with one open hand, but then the other hand, we're going to work hard with it, aren't we? You think, oh, I've got to work hard at doing all this to be right, to do the right thing. And in a sense, we're going to be the shiny outside Christians, but on the inside, we're withering and dying. Whereas Jesus says, comes with your hands open. Come with your hands accepting him. He's the one that cleanses you. He's the one that gives you access to God forever. He's the one that transforms you and changes you. Come with your hands open, guys. Have you done that? I'm going to play a song that I'm not sure whether we've sung it, but we might have done it a long time ago. It's a great song by a guy called Colin Buchanan. Uh, we often sing Colin stuff uh, at different times. Uh, lots of kids stuff, but he's got an adult album too called Real Hope. 
Uh, it's fairly old now. Uh, but there's a song on that that says, All I Can Bring. Uh, and I think it's a great song that just pulls together what we've looked at and what we've seen is this Jesus who is our King. And it's a response to that. Are we going to put the words up on the screen? Dave's going to play... Uh, it's down the bottom corner there, Dave. And as we listen to it, uh, hear the words, and I pray that these words will be a prayer for you. Let's listen to it. Father, we give you great thanks that you are a king, a humble, self-sacrificing king, 
He goes to the cross. He rises again. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all our dirt, from all our sin. He brings access to you now and for eternity. A king who desires to rule our lives. A king that asks us to come with our hands open to you. Lord, may all of our lives be for you, Lord, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a great song to finish off with. Thank you, Lord Jesus, a response to what we've just heard.